Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delisio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World, and welcome to a very special episode of The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. My name is Mike Delisio, and I'm the host of this podcast, and I'm joined by Sebastian Dennison, member of our clinical services team. Um, as all of you know, we're, we are dealing with a very special health crisis and something that has been impacting the pharmacy community in a dramatic way over the last few weeks. Uh, some of you might be tuning in to this podcast for the very first time, and as a pharmacist or a pharmacy staff member, this is a, a critical opportunity for you to learn more about how to deal with your patients in the front lines and, and obviously having that overall responsibility as a healthcare professional. Sebastian, um, it'll just be you and I today. Due to the fact of social distancing and for keeping us apart, we have created this podcast over an audio device. So we apologize for maybe a, a slight different tune in our voices. Uh, it's primarily because of you and I being distance apart and we we still felt that we had this overall responsibility to not only our listeners, but the pharmacy community and to, to get kind of everybody on the same page as this is a very quick, ever evolving climate. So Sebastian, thank you so much for recording it in this manner today. And like I said to our listeners, we apologize for some of the, the differences in audio quality. Uh, they're used to my weird voice. This is just no weirder than normal for everyone. So. I'm I'm just glad we can get to, we can get this out to our members and uh, and to our listeners and make sure that they have a good solid base of information to to be working from for the next few weeks. The um, the unique part of what we do as compounding pharmacists, but mainly as independent community pharmacists, is serving and having the overall responsibility to the patients. And I think what we've noticed um, ever since this outbreak has occurred is the amount of just responsiveness from a lot of our members, from a lot of the compounding pharmacies across the country, but not necessarily across the country, across the world, um, as we definitely face this unique healthcare crisis. One of the the ever-changing climates has been, you know, the the lack of hand sanitizers and, and the responsibility for compounding pharmacists um, in terms of how they are dealing with their first responders, you know, uh, fire departments, police departments, uh, individuals at the hospital level. And it's been truly amazing to see how we are been, or we have been able to monitor and manage supply chain in order to make a lot of these custom formulations or these custom abilities possible um, just by offering the, the ingredients that many people are looking for at this point. Sebastian, I guess on the, on the topic of hand sanitization, we're probably going to get into the other questions that a lot of our pharmacists have been posing back to us. And as we are trying our best to manage the, the overall network of members, um, how has it been like for you, specifically on the clinical service point of view and, and your responsibility in terms of helping a lot of these pharmacies? What has it been like in terms of dealing with questions relating just to hand sanitizers as a whole? I, I think we we almost have to go back a little bit, Mike. Um, like almost three weeks ago, we started seeing this sort of question pop up. 
um, mainly because people were like, I, I'm worried about this and, and I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to go buy it up. And really quickly, the entire world ran into the shortage of hand sanitizer. And, and it was, it was kind of a, a head tilt moment for our world, compounding pharmacies, because as soon as you can't find something commercially available, where do you head to? You go home, you Google it, you look and you go, okay, where can I get something made? Bam, compounding pharmacies. And literally it was like a storming of the castle moment for our membership and for almost every pharmacy out there. Can you make this? Do you have any left? And immediately ran headlong into a couple of rules uh, that, that the, that all of our compounding pharmacies had questions about almost immediately 201. Um, our regulatory authority oversight with the FDA said, you can't compound without a prescription. And that was the block. We have patients in need. How do we address this? The next one was formulations. And then the next part was we need access to these products. And our compounding pharmacies, because of the access to formulations, good regulatory um, guidance, as well as access to products, we're able to start making this and being able to dispense with prescriptions. And then we saw the change from the FDA that said, hey, we, we can't keep going this route. So they developed a couple of formulas and they said with a special, um, special provision here, you can compound this this way very specifically. Again, the response was overwhelming and you can now understand the impact the compounding pharmacy can have in any sort of health situation, health crisis at, at this sort of scale is we are able to respond so quickly and so efficiently with appropriate uh, medication management. And, and in this case, it was like hand sanitizer, which on the scale is like, oh, well, here's your criteria, but we were able to do it so quickly. And this is the part where we see the impact of compounding pharmacies in, in healthcare being so unique is we are so flexible. And, um, and I, I, I like this because this is what an old colleague used to say. We are agile, we are responsive, and we are able to accommodate the needs of the many very, very rapidly without necessarily having this interruption. And so for from my perspective, it was like, yes, this was a tsunami of questions, but at the same time, it was this um, this really unique moment where compounding pharmacies really stepped up and were able to do something that no one else was until we started to see this change of production levels. So bravo, compounding pharmacies. I, I, Steve, Steve Hofford at Magnolia is a perfect example. He ended up showing up at the local police force and first responders and handing them, you know, here's a couple of bottles of this stuff just to take care of your members so they're not getting infected while they have to be frontline responders. It was, it was an absolutely amazing moment. Uh, I, I think you, you really summarized that the best way possible. And it's what last week probably felt like a month to most, um, specifically with dealing with patients, you know, changing the way that they were dispensing medications, changing the way that patients were able to pick up medication. I think uh, this might be a new normal for the next little while. And Sebastian, from a, a clinical point of view, there's been a tremendous amount of information circulating, and there's definitely focus on a few molecules. And while we were I would say at, at the point of looking at supply chain and trying to do our very best on on fulfilling some of the demand, there was national attention, not only at the political level, but also from other governments and other 
institutions looking at the impact of drugs like hydroxychloroquine or azithromycin. I think there was a few research papers cited from Stanford Medical School, from Harvard, from the Belgium government, from France, from Korea, from Japan, um, all referencing very small sample size of, of individual information showing the efficacy of these two drugs in a specific protocol. And obviously looking at this, uh, even the President Trump himself uh, took the opportunity to, to bring this to the forefront in numerous press conferences and, and engaging some of the physicians that he's had around him as well, um, hoping that this is something that pharmacies will be able to assist with. And namely, how pharmacists that compound can potentially make up these medications based on a physician request. So it's obviously a very loaded statement, Sebastian, because I know it's it's changing gears from how they were able to manage the situation with hand sanitizer specifically, but now looking at uh, a specific treatment protocol that's been touted by many uh, with very limited information. So. What is your take on all this? I know we're we're trying to adapt. We're trying to follow through the best way possible. We we do have material that is scheduled to arrive, so we're able to fulfill a lot of the demand that's come through. Uh, but from a clinical point of view, where can you shed some light on some of the information and how we kind of got into this position with these two specific molecules? Well. It- I'm gonna I'm gonna state this off the front, and um, anyone who's listening, please understand that everything that we are looking at right now is fairly new. And when I say fairly new, like there's actually a great site. It's called Lit COVID. So L I T C O V I D. If you want to go there, um, you can actually find a, a link, and it's actually got all of the information as it, it almost in real time as publications come out. Um, if you had started on December 31st and started looking for COVID-19, you wouldn't have found anything. It wasn't until just recently that we're starting to see this generation of information. Um, everything that is being published now, we, we don't have large scale trials. So a lot of it is, hey, this is what we've seen work we have to be cautious in our application of this data. And, and so any piece of information that comes out is being touted and, the, and, and almost the exaggeration of this will fix it. it, it it's, it's exacerbated by the fact that there's a ton of fear. There's a ton of people that read one piece of information, take it out of context, and are like running down the aisles with their hair on fire saying like, this is, this is the holy grail. We're, we're going to save the planet let's pump the brakes just a little bit and we still have to be pharmacists and do our due diligence and understand the literature and understand the therapeutics. It's not as simple as just handing out drugs and being like, yeah, you're fine and it'll save your life or take this and it, it's going to prevent you from getting this. And who no, this is not what anyone is saying. Um, even people who are tweeting this information out um, sometimes have to understand that that can cause other problems. For example, hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, the study wasn't particularly big. It came out of France. Um, There's a lot of discussion about it, and they look at it as we're seeing this sort of viral um, shedding and uh, change in viral loading. But 
hold on, there's more information here that has to be looked at. There's monitoring parameters, there's uh, clinical treatment guidelines and clinical monitoring that have to be happening at the same time. You can't just hand out drugs to patients and tell them to go home because that this is this is where we can get into trouble. The next part to this is very quickly after the statement coming out of the top of the administration, we're now seeing emergency provisions in different state boards saying that without a valid prescription written indication specific to a patient effectively, you can't be handing out these drugs. So people shouldn't be hoarding them or ordering them for uh, groups of people. And the concern is that um, that there's going to be a run on all of these drugs and not necessarily being able to be accessible by patients uh, who are in need versus patients who are just fearful. So everything we're going to talk about kind of going forward, Mike, like understand we can talk about some of the literature, but we're not saying like, go get this and this is going to make you better. This is bringing you up to speed. So you're aware of um, what's going to be happening next. And I, and I, I'm, I'm the cautious one in this, which is really scary because in my group, I'm known as the, yeah, let's do it. And I'm, I'm saying we have to be super cautious with this because um, we don't want to cause more harm and we don't want to get caught up in this uh, hyperbole so much as we want to be doing the right thing. We are still pharmacists. We're still, um, we are, we're, everything is real time. Like it's changing from hour to hour to hour. And so one piece of information now might be discarded in, in two, who knows? So um, back to your original question, I guess. Hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin. Um, I think Bayer came out and said that they had something like 2 million doses here in the United States. They're ready to go. And now we've got Tiva who's ramping up production. We've got Bayer who's ramping up production. We've got everyone who's like, ah, we're going to get going. Um, and the next one is, are we going to be caught behind this? My understanding is we're getting prepared because we, we don't know what the outcome might be. But if we are in need, our, our production numbers now are going to be far less than what's required. So, um, I, and I kind of like, whoosh, we're going to start there is, and this is where we're seeing this huge demand. Um, Mike, I'm going to probably ask you to speak on this one, but we are accessing the product. We are brought it in. Um, I know that we've got it on back order. Our expected date for delivery is within the coming weeks. And that doesn't mean we're just handing it out. You need to first check with your state board and understand what the emergency provisions are. Two, you should have a valid prescription. You should, you should be handing it out for a specific patient, always specific patients. Those are the rules and regulations of pharmacy. Any FDA um, audit would be one prescription, one patient. It's really quite easy. We're not doing this for office use under any circumstances. And then we would look at the actual treatment protocols versus here's a bunch of pills and we're just going to take it. Cause I've seen everything from one gram a day for 10 to 15 days of hydroxychloroquine down to 200 milligrams TID for 10 days in conjunction with the Zithro. So Mike, I'm going to start with you. Do we have the product? Are we bringing it in? When is it coming in and when is it going to be available? So that's a, a very good question. And I, I guess I'll try to do my best to answer that the best way that I can, knowing that this is such a unique situation, not only from a supply chain point of view, but from a demand point of view. So yes, we 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 have secured material. Uh, it does have a scheduled arrival date of some some point in April, and that's the 
the messaging and the communication that we've had a chance to deliver to our customers, the amount of demand has been truly astonishing. Um, I don't recall another time where we've had this much demand, obviously so much demand that it is overrun the amount of material that we do have scheduled to arrive. So a uh, very reputable supplier, a, a manufacturer from Europe, and and this is going to be a great opportunity that once we do have this information and this this quantity available, that we'll be able to disseminate and share that with a tremendous amount of compounding pharmacists across the country. And I think um, we're at this point, you know, we're in the very unique supply chain point of view, whereas we are doing our best to try to get information from this manufacturer and hopefully deliver an adequate supply date um, without any pending delays or anything else that could potentially influence the estimated time of arrival. And it's so important to take note of that it's an estimated time of arrival. In, in a perfect world, we would have a tracking number uh, the same way that we would we would when dealing with Amazon, but unfortunately, it's we're we're not necessarily in in that scope of business. It, it is slightly different when it comes to supply chain, and uh, specifically when you're dealing with vendors overseas. So, at this point, we do have material scheduled to arrive. We are doing our best to allocate demand at the customer level, and we're going to start seeing a lot more influxes around other products as well. Uh, and I have this this gut feeling telling me that just looking at the world of functional medicine, a lot of our a lot of our customers themselves as pharmacists, a lot of doctors that um, are very influential in functional medicine and integrative medicine have made other comments about other products as well. And as things evolve, as more research has been done, um, it's not only a very quick changing climate as it pertains to. Pharmacy itself, it's it's really the overall treatment. And Seb, maybe you can even comment on this as well. And maybe a perfect segue into the next question is we're hearing a lot of things about melatonin. We're hearing a lot of things about vitamin C and vitamin D. Um, so natural supplementation also potentially facilitating or helping out, not necessarily as a precautionary measure, but also as a treatment. And um, and by obviously keeping all claims aside there has been very limited research. So how can you comment on some of the inquiries that we've had around things like melatonin or vitamin C at a very high dose as it pertains to uh, interleukin-6 and how the the virus essentially manifests itself and some of the symptoms that patients are showing? So I'm going to, I'm going to start with a couple of couple of key pieces and understand that the research is coming out so fast and so furious that by the time we put this out today, some of the stuff I'm going to say is probably going to be considered completely wrong. So, um, immunology background, the coronavirus is a unique virus that hasn't been seen before. And it comes in and it has an angiotensin receptor um, attachment point. And what happens is once it attaches and it goes into the cell, we're seeing this replication and production of virus. But what we're seeing is this um, uh, pretty significant in susceptible individuals and where it becomes really problematic is this upregulation of inflammatory cytokines in the body, which is normal to fight off the virus. But in patients that are either immunocompromised or and you're getting this rapid progression, but you can also get you can get into some of these patients where you have this pretty significant 
upregulation of specific cytokines, and you can actually get into the cytokine storm. And this is where people can get into mass inflammatory response in the lungs. Um, you can see it with the problems in the in the kidneys. You can see it through the entire uh, system, but mainly it's it's the lungs where people are getting pneumonia and then really falling ill. And so what we're looking for is kind of a balancing act between making sure you have a really healthy immune system that's not dysfunctional and one that isn't going to over rev and overproduce too many of these specific inflammatory cytokines, IL six and TNF alpha specifically. So it stops this cytokine storm, which is a rapid, exaggerated amplification response where you end up, it's effectively where people go into shock or they have this significant response. So when you're asking about nutritional supplements and functional medicine, this is where every single person who's been in the functional medicine world goes, oh my God, this is what we've been saying for so long. We need to regulate and immunomodulate. We don't want to have too much. We don't want to have too little. We want to have this nice solid balance. And all of a sudden, the same models keep coming up. Uh, Melatonin, very, very potent immunomodulator. Man, there is so much literature about this. This is something we talked about even about a year and a half ago, two years ago, where we started seeing these immunomodulatory effects where taking it for um, decreased overall inflammatory cytokines, um, microglial sort of downregulation so we can actually balance out the brain. Um, uh, we use it in therapeutic treatments for specifically for cancer patients for immunoregulatory as well so melatonin has all of a sudden become a hot topic and everyone's like oh my god i need it we're seeing doses where people are and again literature is indicating some of these doses i'm i'm speaking about it i'm not recommending these again this has to be the due diligence of the pharmacist to go and suss out literature i'm talking about what we're seeing and where the caution needs to be Dosing of anywhere from three to 40 milligrams are being recommended for functional medicine doctors daily. So why, when would you take it? Well, you're going to be taking it close to bedtime because it's going to be flattening you flat. Um, some of these doses, some of the comments are like, well, how much is too much and where do we worry? Um, again, therapeutics, three milligrams is a normal dose. Nine milligrams is kind of considered not for tolerable dose. But we're seeing doses of 20 to 40 milligrams in some of these uh, acute treatment carrier groups. So we we have to understand that what is the therapeutic upper limit for a patient versus what is the current recommendation for sleep? Like there, it's going to be vastly different when we're talking about treatment or uh, prevention of, of COVID-19. Vitamin D, essential, essential. We're talking about normal adult doses for healthy adults making sure that that's going to be um, supporting a good immune function. D3 is should be given because we don't have necessarily want people outside standing around in groups at the beach, obviously, um, for social distancing purposes. If you're worried about um, concerns about vitamin K and calcium buildup, then you just suggest a green leafy vegetable diet along with the vitamin D. Um, we're starting to see comments about vitamin E, vitamin A, vitamin C. Vitamin C is, I think, recommended right now as a starting point. 500 milligrams, two to four times a day with plenty of liquids so you don't get uh, any sort of kidney stones. 
um, that one that one is actually kind of a, an important one because that's actually going to help with antioxidant free radicals scavenging as well as this sort of uh, immune response. And so instead of getting into like, I need 16 grams of vitamin C infusions, um, that was something that was coming out of the beginning stages of this. Um, that one seems to be correlated to some sort of care and supportive care, but it's not necessarily clear that that is an ultimate treatment, but two grams a day divided if possible with lots of water. Um, we're also seeing people talk about EGCG and their concentrations and how much they need to be taking um, for that antiviral antioxidant effect. Any omega-3s, um, we're, talking, we're talking about the sort of this broad anti-inflammatory and modulatory control. But now here's the flip side is, recommendations against the use of ibuprofen. There seems to be really controversial because people are saying, oh, we need to have uh, anti-inflammatories. But ibuprofen can actually hobble an appropriate immune response because you're stopping that initial inflammatory response. And so you can actually allow the potentiation. So people are saying, if you see, if you see a fever, don't give ibuprofen, only give acetaminophen. Next one, what do we do about, and I talked about the angiotensin uh, receptor activity. What about the angiotensin receptor blockers? Well, er, hang on. If the different cardiovascular societies have all come out and said, if you're on it, stay on it. Don't start it, though, if you're, if you're not needing it, because there may be some regulatory changes in your angiotensin receptor levels when given these drugs. So back to the nutritional piece, and I, I'm, man, here's the easy one. Functional medicine is, is all going to be about uh, proper supplementation, immunomodulatory support, downregulation of inflammatory cytokines without the use of um, products that will stop sort of that, that effect. And then the other part is where I'm going to get excited is what molecules do we have that could be immunoregulatory that we've already talked about in the past? Um, anything that is not going to stop a progression, but something that's going to balance out and stop this overactivity. And so we're starting to see some people talk about certain molecules in their back pocket, naltrexone, cannabidiol in the United States, um, other molecules like that. So, and are they going to have value here? Uh, time will tell. Yeah, I think, Sorry, that I think time, time will tell a lot. And I think that was a, a really good educational piece also for anybody tuning into the podcast because you, you did cover a lot more information and uh, information from a functional medicine point of view that is not necessarily readily as available as some of the other information circulating at this point. So, you know, I think, Sebastian, you're probably in this unique position that, uh, that everybody else is in is really just digesting and and looking at all the information that surrounds us uh, because things are changing on a daily basis. I think by the time this podcast gets released as a very special edition of a mortar and pestle, it might necessarily be outdated in about a week or two weeks time. And, and that's okay. This is all about getting information out to pharmacies right now who are really looking for guidance. Um, please as a reminder as well, and something I didn't mention to kick off the podcast, but when you visit www.pccarx.com, you will see our COVID-19 resource page. And this is open source. This is available to any pharmacy or pharmacy staff uh, around the world, really, to look at some of the things and some of the resources that are available to you. And, and we're trying to condense the information and keep it really towards our front lines so that you guys are as well prepared as can be. Uh, Sebastian, really, from your point of view, 
um, what is next? And, and when I say what is next, it's not necessarily a treatment option or something that we need to be concerned of, but what message do you have to pharmacies in general who remain to be on the front lines and, and really are just trying to serve their normal populations as well? Uh, those that are not necessarily impacted by the virus specifically, but what is your message to, to them and their patient care um, so that they're able to manage them and their staff the best way possible? The very first thing that I would say to anyone who's standing in a pharmacy uh, on the front line is, A, I'd love to jump in and help you. If I could replicate myself 10,000 times and just show up in your pharmacies and just be a second set of hands, I would love to help. Um, I think everyone on our team is there. So you picking up the phone and calling us, trust this, trust me when I say this, our hearts are right there with you. Uh, our entire team is behind you. Whatever we can do to, to help you, we're, we're going to be there for you. As a current healthcare practitioner in that pocket is take care of your staff. Understand that this is, is happening so quickly. There's so much information. Anyone who walks in the door and asks you those questions, take the time to, to look at it thoroughly. And I know people are just like, I, I can't stay yet. Just get the information and call them back. Um, call us, pick up the phone, ask the questions of us because we're starting to, we're all learning from each other because there's so many inputs and we can all kind of come together, but, and, and we can get this information and then we can get it back out quickly. Um, but here's, here's the key things that I would say. Number one, um, you do have to look after your staff and yourself primarily, because if you get, if any of you get sick, that is potentially uh, a problem in your, in your community, in your practice, for your patients. You have to continue looking after yourself and figure out a way to still function and be productive in face of such overwhelming <laughs> expectations. So I'm going to say everything that I've just recommended for people, anyone, any other patient who's worried about these things, I'd say you as a team need to go and get some bottles off the shelf, crack those bottles open and everyone gets their vitamins every day. I know that seems like a fairly pedantic kind of like, yeah, well, that makes sense. I can't tell you how many times I'd have, I'd, I'd be like, let's get a bottle of vitamin D and everyone takes their vitamin D in the morning together. Why are we doing this? Because I'm going to make sure you're taking care of yourself and your, and your team. Number two, the next latest, greatest thing that comes out of someone's mouth, please call, pick up the phone, research, understand the literature before we just accept it because you're going to have a million requests about this and you might as well have the information. As soon as you hear it, go and research it. And there's so many community boards out there on social media where you can actually ask the questions and you can actually get really good up-to-date information. Um, our team on that COVID-19 landing page that's open source, we are putting good information up there and we're putting in citations and references um, and for you to go and read and understand not here is the next thing and this is how you're going to sell it no 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 no. here's the information so you can make responsible uh, healthcare decisions next um, I, I'm going to kind of talk about this one a little bit more um, I think we're going to be in this for a little bit longer than uh, everyone's hoping that okay, the next two weeks, the next two weeks, the next two weeks, everything's going to be in week to week chunks, but you can have this expectation that you're probably going to be busy for the next four, uh, two to four months, 
before we're going to be able to lift our head out and start talking about other things, mainly because the spread is already occurring and then you're going to need some time to digest between who's sick and who's healthy and then the treatment protocols of the of the sick. So you're probably looking at sometime into July before we're really able to take a deep breath back and, and say, okay, what, what are we actually learning from this? Um, and then be prepared because when the next round of vaccinations come up, because it's going to be rushed through, I would be setting myself up for making sure everyone is trained for injections, making sure everyone is ready for those vaccinations, because that's going to be the next big, big wave um, is once we start getting into vaccinations, it's going to be all hands on deck right away. So it's, it's, this is like, this is, this is absolutely insane where pharmacies fit into this is because you're going to become a primary site of education, acquisition and management because 80% of the cases are going to be outside of the hospitals. And so they're all going to have to come to where. So as compounding pharmacists, like you're, you're going to be so, you're going to be moving so fast with, with need and expectation. Um, I would almost have someone dedicated to that front counter of, of just understanding where, what the next request is, and then being able to put that data together and getting it into us very quickly. Because if you've got 20 people running in 20 different directions, you might be missing a really key piece to, to what your patients need. So I know that's kind of a weird, superfluous statement, but, um, the only way I can explain it is you're going to be looking, at, and I'm, I'm taking this right out of, of what I've been saying for a long time. Once you recognize the pattern, the pattern will be able to become clear. Once you see this clear pattern, adjust and address the pattern that, that you can. But honestly, Sebastian, I think your, your review uh, and some of your comments that you have for pharmacy in general put me in the position that uh, I, not necessarily it's an obligation. I think it's, it's overdue is really to thank independent community pharmacies as a whole um, for your responsibility and for the ability to take action with your patients. We've been working very close with the National Community Pharmacy Association, working very close with the Alliance of Pharmacy Compounding. These are two very large groups um, who have been looking to PCCA for advice and for guidance. And we are working in, with this mutual relationship uh, because it's really pharmacy as a whole. And to thank you for being front lines is is tremendous. And Sebastian, you have that unique responsibility of working within the clinical services team and talking to our members on a daily basis. But this is a, really another chance to thank you for what you're doing, to thank our, our members for what they're doing truly in their communities and really all pharmacies. It's, we're not here to single out a PCC member by any means, but um, everybody has this unique responsibility at this point of dealing with patients, ensuring that uh, whether it's certain treatments like hydroxychloroquine or azithromycin or down the road, potentially something else that can be compounded um, like hand sanitizers. There, this is a tremendous chance for pharmacies to shine and for communities to remember uh, the impact of, of somebody that's local. And it's a, a local business often the times that can definitely move the dial and make a difference. And, and we're seeing that as a grassroots effort, basically coast to well, coast and, and, and everywhere around the world. And, and Mike, I, I to kind of build upon those statements is the responsibility of us being involved is, is, is so important as healthcare professionals, as compounding pharmacists. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to also say this, 
we have to do it with the best intentions and we still have to abide by the rules that are out there. This is not the time to be like, oh, okay, we can we can take shortcuts and we we still have to do things right. We're still pharmacists at the at the core. Um, we're pharmacies, and so doing the right thing and doing it with um, appropriate guidance is also going to be crucial. And keep an eye on what's happening at um, legislatively because we don't want anyone to get into a position where they've where they've made a misstep. And after the dust settles, that people have done things that that could put them in a negative position. Trust me, there's going to be so much that goes on in the next four months. Um, keeping an eye on on all of these moving parts is it's going to be really really crucial to to, to just have up to date information. So please check in with us as often as you can. Great. Well said, Seb. And um, highly encourage everybody who needs additional information to reach out to our customer service team uh, via our 1-800 number. If not, please submit a request on our website. We'll do everything possible to get back to you as we support you in this very difficult time. And um, we'll probably try to record other podcasts that potentially can assist you to give you that guidance as well. Uh, please continue to look at what PCCA is doing to help educate the public. And uh, we, have a, we have a very special position at this point, and we will do our very best uh, to show that we are in it with you. Uh, we're doing everything possible to get product and information at your disposal the best way we can. And, and we have an amazing team behind us that is incredible from an operational point of view and also from a customer service point of view. So I highly encourage you to reach out to your unique account representatives, our customer service team, our clinical services team, uh, so that we can do everything possible to get you information and product the best way that we can. Uh, like I said, a, a lot of you might be tuning into this podcast for the first time, uh, given the severity and the gravity of the matter, and, and also based on the overall subject content relating to COVID-19. Uh, highly encourage you to visit www.pccarx.com. Um, and like I said, if you want to do subscribe to this podcast, please do so. And we'll hope that we'll be able to give you more information and, and steer you in the proper direction from days and weeks to come. So Sebastian, thanks again on behalf of everybody here at PCCA. We appreciate what you do. Thank you for tuning in and we'll talk next time. Thanks again. This is Mike Delisio and we'll talk to you soon.